knowing that and knowing that we'd be able to directly help students and their families during the pandemic and during all of these complexities gave us fulfillment knowing that we'd be able to get that done in a really short amount of time. And so, yeah, we were building the ship before we were sailing it. We also had this belief that we could get it done and kept reminding each other to have the confidence that we know existed somewhere within our soul. Created for the MAPE community by the MAPE community. Left Unsaid is a podcast where we speak our truth, celebrate our talents, tell our stories, and explore what matters most to us. It's time to leave everything on the table and make sure nothing is left unsaid. Welcome to another episode of Left Unsaid. I'm your host, Carl Desir, and as usual, I'm really excited about our guest today. They are doing some amazing work, and you know, I'm just going to let them introduce themselves and we can get right into it, because I'm really excited to hear what, they, what they've been doing, what they have in store for us. So why don't y'all go ahead and introduce yourselves. Thank you so much for having us. Um, I am Hannah Seligman, and I am the co-founder of First Tech Fund. Yeah, my name is Josue de Paz, and I'm the co-founder of First Tech Fund as well. Great. It's great to have you both. Before we jump into First Tech Fund and you all and your stories, you know we got to do the red, yellow, green check-in, right? It's letting everyone know how you're coming into this meeting, red this meeting, this interview, this talk, this conversation. The green is you're 100% here. Red is you're just, you're here physically, but you're distracted. And yellow is you're somewhere in the middle. You can make up colors. You can add shapes. You can do however you're feeling right now in this moment. Go. Yeah, I think for me, I'm definitely yellow-ish. I'm in I'm in LA right now, so it's uh, in the morning. I am not a morning person whatsoever. As a small child, I didn't like morning, so that's the only real factor for me. It's also a little cold in LA, and I'm kind of upset about that because I came for the good weather. But other than that, you know, can't complain. Everything is great, and we're grateful to be here. So. I, I I feel you on that because every time I go to LA, I'm like, yo, it's about to be 72 and sunny, it's good weather, I bring shorts, and then it's like, oh wait, no, it gets down to like 40 at night. So, I mean, I've bought so many sweatshirts in LA just because I was like, yo, I always forget that it gets really cold, really cold. Hannah, how are you coming in? I'm feeling like a light pastel yellow today. Wanted to get creative with the colors since you offered that option. I am a morning person, so love doing things in the morning. My brain is on, but my body and my head have a little pain this morning, so that's that's why I'm a light yellow. Okay. Oh, you said light pastel yellow. A light pastel yellow. Pastel. Okay. All right. I feel you on that. You know, it's morning time. Everybody's got to wake up. Thank you both. Let's... I want to know about y'all, but first, tell me about First Tech Fund. What is it? Why'd y'all start it? Yeah. We'll start there. Yeah, so First Tech Fund was born in uh, month three of the pandemic, and really our mission is to help close the digital divide in New York City by supporting and empowering students of underserved and non-dominant backgrounds with technology, with connectivity, with practical skills and and really setting them up with opportunities to succeed in the 21st century world. So you know, light light work on a on a Wednesday morning. 
<laughs> what made and what made how did you two get together as co-founders and decide that you wanted to start and, and tackle this issue? Yeah, I think it was a combination of things. So I think with Hana's tech experience and my lived experience, it was a decision that we both came to and an idea that we both formulated together in partnership. I think for me, I grew up undocumented. I grew up in a single parent household. I always grew up under the poverty line. And so I experienced a lot of the things firsthand that our students are experiencing, right? My mom cleaned houses for a living and, and in doing so was in affluent communities. And she saw that these communities had computers, had Wi-Fi and saw how much further ahead their students were. And so she wanted to provide the same for me. And I saw her work two to three jobs in order for us to afford that computer and afford that Wi-Fi. Just living within an equitable education system and seeing the differences, you know, in the haves and have nots on a firsthand basis really gave me the experience. And then I also got the opportunity to work at Girls Who Code, which is an international nonprofit that focuses on getting more girls into STEM. And so just a combination of those experiences, plus my experience, short experience in advertising gave me really the, the window to understand the inequities. And, and I think with, with Hannah and her experience in tech, we really just had like a dream team to be able to tackle this issue. And living in Brooklyn during the pandemic, we saw firsthand how our local community was being affected really terribly by the pandemic and by distance learning. So we wanted to do something to actually address the problem and make sure that the students and their families were getting the support that they needed during a complicated, difficult time, not just with the pandemic, but also with the education system in New York City. Wow. Yes. What this both lived experience, both like growing up for you say, and also just currently what's happening. Hannah, I'm curious, we keep referring to your tech experience. Like what did you see in the tech space that really propelled you to want to, to do this? So I have been working on the business side in the technology industry for about six years now. Starting out interning in this broader industry, I saw a huge issue with diversity and inclusion at these companies. People would get hired often and then not feel comfortable staying at these places. And so through First Tech Fund, we want to make sure that students at an early age are getting the understanding of what these corporate environments look like and connect with people that look like them who have made it in those fields so they can sustain the confidence, sustain the understanding of what skills they'll need to build for themselves to get into these industries, both, you know, technology being a huge growing space, but also other industries like healthcare, finance, just the multitude of spaces that can help students uplift themselves and their entire families out of poverty. Mm, noble, noble cause. So I'm, I'm curious now, so we're kind of jumping all over the place here, right? We're talking about tech, but we're talking about this. How did you two actually meet? And like the light bulb went off is like, we can do this together. We can solve all these issues together. <laughs> so we actually met in college. I'm originally from New York, but I moved to California to go to university because I wanted to try something new. Josue and I actually met in a public relations class because that was my area of study during college. And through that, we ended up having a budding relationship. And since then we've gotten married and because we 
have been cohabitating throughout the pandemic. It made, you know, exploring different business ideas and exploring ways that we could really impact our community to better people around us. It allowed us to just really quickly create a business plan, collaborate, whether it was morning, evening, weekend, at any hour of the day, bounce ideas off of each other and get things done, building off of each other's skills. I think, you know, the foundation of us being romantically involved and knowing each other's strengths through that really allowed us to be great business partners. Yeah, it definitely helps uh, when you know the other person very well uh, when you're running a business. Because she knows like what my strong points and my weak points are, and so it's easy for us to give feedback um, in an actionable way, you know, because we live with each other. So, you know, I'd be getting a seltzer from the fridge, and she'll be like, did you follow up on this email? And I'll be like, no. And so it does help. <laughs> y'all, really, y'all really buried the lead on that. Oh, by the way, and we're married to, you know. Can't come out the gate with the spice. <laughs> with that yeah i can see how it makes it you know super easy and i've heard the stories of both like it working really well and it also not working really well too so it's great to see that y'all have that relationship where it's just like yeah you know you grab me that seltzer and also send that email like now (laughs) probably send the email before you grab the seltzer all right and roll with it that's really that's really dope awesome so let's get into a little bit more about what First Tech Fund um, has been doing, right? Kind of things, the accomplishments you have, and also some of the challenges you faced also starting that. Yeah, so we launched in May 2020, like I said, and, you know, we initially, you know, scoped the program to be, you know, anywhere from 25 to 30 students. We were fundraising and launching the program at the same time. You know, the, the famous nonprofit saying of building the ship while you're flying it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we launched advertising. We were trying to find students to apply to the program. We were trying to find donors. We were trying to find volunteers and we were doing kind of all that at the same time. So, you know, we launched an application before having enough money to run the program. We, you know, took a lot of big risks, I think, like even before having the computers and the Wi-Fi, we were out there promoting the program. And so definitely took some, let's call it initiative in getting the the word out. Because, you know, if, if we didn't have students, then we wouldn't need the computers, we wouldn't need the Wi-Fi. <laughs> we managed to get a really good deal on computers and partnered with T-Mobile on the Wi-Fi hotspot devices, but just really saw an outpouring of applications. And I think that was, in my personal opinion, the hardest part. We received over 750 applications for 50 spots, right? So I would say that was the toughest part of the whole experience, not raising money, not launching a nonprofit infrastructure, but just having to read the stories that were out there and, and having to turn away students who were just looking for an opportunity to sign into remote learning or to do their college apps or apply to summer programs. It was really just tough to, to read some of the stories that were on there. And so, um, that for me was the biggest challenge, but, um, then in the fall, once we had selected our students, we had a cohort of 52. Uh, More than the originally expected 25 to 30 because we got great deals you know, because we were able to actually raise money that we didn't expect we'd be able to raise in like three months. So 
we did have a lot of challenges in the beginning, but through our community of supporters and volunteers and also our internal beliefs in ourselves to be able to make this happen for the students, we were able to accomplish a lot more in that first program than we expected at the get-go. Yeah, and we, I mean, we also have to shout out the amazing team that we work with, right? This isn't work that we just do alone. We have a, a junior board of 19 individuals who were going to bat for us as well, right? They were reaching out to their companies. They were reaching out to their networks. You know, there's a couple of folks in the MAPE community who were, you know, rocking with us at the beginning and going out and, and helping connect us with folks. So that really helped us to, to you know, navigate some of the challenges that the nonprofit was facing at the beginning because we were rolling 20 deep. And so, you know, any challenge is no challenge for, you know, a strong community focused group like the one we had. But yeah, in the fall, we had 52 students. Uh, each of the students got a Chromebook and a Wi-Fi hotspot with unlimited data for the entire school year. So we decided to go with hotspots because we know some students, you know, sometimes travel from household to household or have long commutes, right? We have one student who lives in far Rockaway and goes to school in the East Village. So that's a two hour commute bus and train. And so wow. for them to have the hotspot, it's really helpful to just make that time, you know, more productive. Mm. And so each of the students got that. That's kind of like the basis of what we do, right? At the core, you have to have technology. And, and that's why First Tech Fund is called First Tech Fund. We want to give you your first tech, yeah. not just a computer, you know, but eventually we want to expand and give you your first set of headphones, your yeah. first camera, your first uh, Adobe subscription, right? Like we want to <laughs> expand and, and, and cover more facets of tech. But in addition to the technology, they were also paired with a mentor in a field that they were expressed interest in. And so we paired them with folks at places like Harvard, at places like Twitter, at places like Oscar Health. Robin Hood. And, and so it was really great for these students to have a mentor who could keep them accountable on deadlines and scholarship applications and everything else that goes along with being in, in high school, but also someone to offer advice and to be there for them, right? In addition to, to being technology challenged and having that as, a, as a, something they're dealing with, often COVID-19 brought about a lot of isolation. Mm -hmm. And so we saw that the mentorship also just helps students feel heard and seen, which is a really great part of the equation. And then, you know, students in our program are from all five boroughs. So they're not only getting to network up and down, but getting to network across, right? And I took that line from from the knowledge house which is a really great nonprofit. They, they they said that in an info session which i thought was really beautiful right but they're getting to network with students in the community as well and so what we've seen is students offering advice to each other telling each other about scholarship programs the seniors are telling juniors this is what you should do this is what you should apply for and so it's been beautiful to see them kind of build their own community and the last piece of the program is really around practical skills, right? And so we have two sides of the house on that front. The first side is really around skills that we want to teach that we don't feel are taught in school. So think public speaking, right? Think financial literacy, think online tools that are helpful like G Suite, right? Those are the things that we're trying to teach. Mm -hmm. And on the other side of it is really the career panels that we feel provide exposure to our students. So we've done career panels on finance, law, medicine, social impact, government, and really have tried to center BIPOC voices on those panels 
so that the students can relate to the folks they're seeing because we know that you know you can't be what you can't see and so it's really important for them to hear from people who may share lived experiences with them so yeah just how y'all even have free time this is this is such <laughs> this is such amazing work and it's so thorough from just the getting like the fun i mean the fundraising alone and trying to do that and then getting the tech and figure out who and the applications to the networking it's it's quite quite a bit i commend you and i was you know i was as you mentioned the board i was looking up and i got to got to give a shout out to Gloria Lynn who's on your young board and also Langston Williams who I know from my from my RGA days um, you guys got a got a great community supporting you in this I, I just have like there's so much to digest from there and I want to take a step back because there's something you said earlier where you're like you know we were doing it all at the same time we were you know putting out the application before we had the funds I'm just curious from like a personal point of view what what was going on inside of you both that was like we can do this we don't we don't need to wait for the money because you know a lot of folks stuff is like oh, we need to fundraise first before we put it out when everything needs to be perfect before we launch but you all were just like no we just gonna do it so where'd that come from I think it came from a mix of things but so during the pandemic, the first thing that I also want to mention is that Josue was laid off and I was taking a medical mental health leave from my job in tech. And so for those reasons, we had a little bit more free time to do all of the things that we've mentioned that we needed to do the first few months. So we were able to really plan and prioritize what we needed to get done effectively. I think that it was that that gave us that jumping off point to be successful because we had a plan in place of what we needed to accomplish and we were able to recruit and network people who could support us in getting to that goal. But the other thing was just like an inherent drive within each of us for some of the reasons Josue already said, living through experiences that we knew the applicants and the people that we'd be supporting through this program are currently experiencing. Knowing that and knowing that we'd be able to directly help students and their families during the pandemic and during all of these complexities gave us fulfillment knowing that we'd be able to get that done in a really short amount of time. Sure, we don't have that much free time, but during the pandemic, it's not like we're doing any of the things we used to be doing anyways. So we would spend a lot of time throughout the week just doing what we needed to do and planning meetings, planning different marketing tactics to fundraise and get everything done. And so, yeah, we were building the ship before we were sailing it. We also had this belief that we could get it done and kept reminding each other to have the confidence that we know existed somewhere within our soul to get there. And even though we had a lot of self-doubt, we still managed to get everything done and we were able to grow the program even beyond our wildest dreams in terms of the number of students we could support. Yeah, and I think the other thing there is like, I have to go back to community, right? Like this is a community-led effort and, and so, you know, when we were feeling doubt or we had questions, we were having conversations with other nonprofit founders. We were having conversations with donors. We were having conversations with our friends. And, and really, like, even at the beginning, you know, I remember sending the, the initial Google document that had, like, the idea of First Tech Fund to a friend, Norhan, who's now on our junior board. And, and I was like, tear this apart. Like, tell me everything that's wrong with this document. What are we missing? What are we not seeing? And it was thanks to people like her 
who gave us that initial feedback and and were like you are missing the ball on this this and this that really allowed us to build the program as quickly as we did and as efficiently as we did and so you know i'm just grateful for everyone who stepped up for us and and really provided a negative advice or encouragement because it was hard right it was the pandemic it was like month four where we were like really trying to launch this and yeah, I had just gotten laid off. But even after that, right, Hana went back to work. I started working at a startup and we were doing 100 hour weeks some wow. weeks. And so um, it, it really took the encouragement, support and love of our entire community. Probably also helped that you can be like, yo, before you get that seltzer, send that email. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's right. I mean, community is so important. You know, we do. We talk about all the time, especially, you know, MAPE as a community has you know, been uplifting and supporting everybody in that community and, and outside. We all get how important community is, especially especially now. Selfishly, I'm gonna I'm gonna pause on first tech fun for a second because I'm getting a lot of like very y'all backgrounds, your experiences, how you grew up is like has really helped guide you here. And I want to know a little bit more about that and kind of what drives you outside of first tech fund as well. And also I got a few texts from somebody who was like, yo, ask them about these things. So <laughs> I just I'm just I just really want to know like more about your each one of your personal stories. I know Josue, you've already you've already given us a little bit, but just if you want to expand upon that and just like how that really helped shape kind of where you're driving uh, today. Yeah, so I think, you know, I grew up in I was born in Mexico, Cuernavaca, Morelos, which is uh, I'm told 40 minutes outside of Mexico City. I do not remember because I was so young. Um, but I came to the US at the age of five just with my mom after my parents had split up. And, you know, I think just seeing how hard my mom worked to get us where we were was powerful for me. I think um, seeing her and, and, and how, you know, she was never encouraged to pursue education and how her parents never valued it. And, you know, I, I always joke when, when I was at Girls Who Code, I would always tell people like, my mom, if she would have given, been given any kind of support, would have been an engineer, right? And she would have been working for NASA or whatever the Mexican equivalent of NASA is. And like, it, it, she would have done really great things, but she just like was never encouraged. And so education was always at the forefront of everything I did as a kid. My mom would pay me for my grades sometimes, right? If I came through with a great report card, she'd be like, here's $20, right? And so I think that has always been pivotal. But I think the other thing was a lot of my experiences growing up really opened my eyes, right? So not something I used to talk about a lot, but, you know, I lived in in LA and in LA sometimes geographically can be split up by one street defining one good neighborhood or one bad neighborhood. So the proverbial like railroad tracks, right? And so I lived on the wrong side of the street. So I had to go to a school that she was going and, and talking to parents there and like there were third, fourth and fifth graders who couldn't read, right? And on the other side of the, the street, there was a school that was much nicer, had after school programs, was well-funded and so, my mom, you know, lied about our address and, and got me into the better school. And I saw just, you know, how different my educational experience was, you know, and some people have gone to jail for that. I think um, 
even seeing those kinds of risks that she took and, and seeing how if you're in the wrong zip code, you could have a totally different educational experience really just shaped me to see that there was an unequal system that I was playing in and that, you know, I needed to work as hard as I could to use education as a way out. Right. Because being undocumented too, like I didn't know what tomorrow brought. I didn't know if I was going to come home from the sixth or seventh grade and my mom was not going to be there. Right. So there was a constant fear that we were living with. And anytime I saw the police, right, I didn't have a license, but because I was getting robbed at gunpoint and knife point in my neighborhood, I started driving at 15, but I didn't have a license. So things were promised and, and things weren't easy. And so I think it just built an, a work ethic and, and, a, and a desire to do better in myself and everything that I did, right? So I got a scholarship to a private high school and they really helped me to, to really understand, you know, you know, kids were, kids were pulling up in BMWs to my school and I was on the bus. I was on an hour bus ride, right? So it was a, it was a different experience for me and some of the students I was going to school with. And then I saw how easily like that all could get taken away from you, right? I was on my way to school and uh, I happened to jaywalk because I was late and, you know, I got on the bus and I hear the police pull over the bus and I'm like, oh, is somebody on the bus that uh, <laughs> shouldn't be on the bus or does somebody not pay or what's happening? And he walks to the back of the bus and he, he pulls me off the bus and I'm like, wait, what did I do? He pulls me off the bus and, and handcuffs me and I'm like, what is going on, right? Like, just like a, a crazy experience and, 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 you know, takes me to school, school handcuffed. And, and so really I just saw, you know, if he would have asked me for any type of ID or anything like that, or taking me to the police station, you know, it could have turned into a whole different situation. Right. And so for me, I, I always knew that tomorrow wasn't promised. And, and so I always try to give it a hundred percent, no matter what I do. I think with DACA now, I feel a little safer, but, um, you know, I always bring that grit and that tenacity and that drive and that will to succeed, but also that feeling of wanting to make my family's sacrifice worth it, right? I want my mom to know that like everything she did, everything she struggled through, it was all worth it. And thank you for sharing that and shout out to your mom for just making it happen. She did. She's a go-getter, which I love about her. Hannah, how about you? So my story is a little different from that, but I originally am from a suburb right outside of New York City. I grew up with a Japanese mom and a Caucasian Jewish dad who is from Brooklyn. So I had a very multicultural upbringing. I didn't necessarily felt like I belonged in the community I grew up in, which was predominantly white. I spent my weekends and summers going to school in Japan. So I was very aggressively focused on education in two cultures and languages throughout my entire childhood. So that just gave a very strong emphasis within me to be focused on education and always want to better myself to make sure I knew both languages, make sure I understood both cultures and was keeping up with the academics for each. But on my dad's side, my um, grandparents are actually, well, were public school teachers in Brooklyn throughout the, I guess, like 40s through 60s. 
maybe early 70s. And New York City has had a longstanding issue with segregation in the education system and difficulties with, you know, students of color, especially black and brown students, being able to make it in the very well-established institutions um, that their white and often Asian now peers are able to make it into and succeed and get into good colleges. And so my grandma, who I got to spend a lot of time with as a child, always emphasized that this was an issue. And even though her and I both being of the more privileged communities that can participate in those institutions had to stand up for the right of those that were underrepresented and were not getting the same support that you know, we were getting from our communities, from our better established, higher income earning families. And so I think from a really young age, because I didn't felt like I belonged in the majority white neighborhood I grew up in, I always felt this drive to help those like me and those who were less privileged than me make it in spaces that were predominantly white or of some other majority group that people didn't always feel welcomed or included by. And so I think those experiences that I had both on American soil and also on Asian soil have led me to want to prioritize in my career and through this nonprofit and everything I do in my life to uplift those who don't always feel included, don't always feel welcomed, and maybe come from situations that create an environment for them to not have the same tools or support that other people who live a few blocks away from them might get. And so I think this is something that's, you know, driven me through working in tech, but also driven me to support the students we support through our nonprofit because we get to talk to them through email, talk to them through Zoom events, talk to them on WhatsApp to make sure that they're building that confidence that, you know, a lot of the times you might not get in your family when you're trying to make things happen or trying to make ends meet. And so we want to make sure that we're giving these students the support that maybe each of us didn't experience growing up because things were so crazy and stressful and we're just trying to get everything done to make our households successful and thrive and be stable. And so I think those experiences I had as a kid have still stayed true to my values and continued to make me persevere through difficult times because I know that there are others like me, there are others who are in difficult situations that I can't even fathom, but I can listen to and help them get through when there are complicated times in our community and in our broader networks. Yeah, it's, it's what I thank you for sharing that. And shout out to grandma for, for holding it down. Um, <laughs> what, I, what I like really, one of the things I'm taking away from both your stories is that even though you grew up different coasts, different experiences, the goals are still the same, right? You ended up both wanting to do and make a change in a similar way. And I think that's that's a beautiful thing. And I, I'm just taking a back and taking a beat on just a little bit how much like our experiences as kids, as growing up, really shape us, you know? Cause I, I mean, I remember, and actually we were just talking about this with my family, you know, moving into a pretty much all white town so that we could have you know, great public school education. There were, f- I have three siblings. And my mom brings us, I think I must have been 12 or 13. So we range from like thir- three to 13 to the library just to get library cards because that's what she did whenever she was in a new town. And the woman, the librarian at the time, my mom's like, well, where do you get library cards? And the woman told her in her own town. And 
<laughs> as my mom describes it, I took like a couple steps back, like expecting, you know, there to be an altercation of some sort. My mom was just like, this is my town. And just those sorts of interactions, you know, you just, they just stick with you and they just drive you. So I thank you both for sharing that. And speaking of drive, I want to know where you're both driving first tech fun in the future, right? You're, you're doing so much. You got things going, right? It's a just, I guess, just past a year old, right? Celebrate your first year anniversary. Like, where are you going next? Yeah, I mean, like I said, we, we really want to expand and, and not only expand and serve more students, right? We serve 52 this year. We're likely on pace to serve 85 next year, which is great. Yes, we love a expansion. Shout out to all our donors. Feel free to donate more. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So don't don't, don't worry you'll, you'll get you'll get your chance to, to plug where people can find you and donate and how and don't worry you'll get that opportunity if you uh, if you get to know me you'll know that i'm always uh always plugging always selling major capricorn energy, major capricorn energy. <laughs> but um but yeah we we want to expand the program obviously and serve more students here in new york city but we're also thinking of expanding our offerings and so this summer we are offering a photography program for high school students, right? And so we've seen how content creation, right, has now dominated the world, right? So whether it's TikTok, whether it's Patreon, right, where artists are being paid directly for their contributions and just seeing how, you know, folks can monetize their art want like pushes us to to want to make sure that that's equitable for everyone, right? Because you think about how much a camera costs. It's like four or $500, right? Yeah. You're struggling to pay bills. You're not going to be paying three, $400 for a camera. So we want to expose students to photography uh, for the first time or just give them that overview, provide them with a camera and provide them with tools, provide them with mentorship, and provide them with insight into careers, right? There's so many cool things you can do with a camera. You can go shoot weddings, you can go shoot sports, you can go shoot brand photography, right? Talk about advertising, like go shoot some dish soap and like make the money off of that, right? Like there's so many different brands that need that need content. And so we want to make sure that, you know, our students have access to that. But there's other pieces of technology that are, are out there that are expensive that we want to, you know, bring to our students and make sure that they can access. So look for us to be building more programs, to be building more partnerships, to expanding our offerings, hopefully one day, you know, to other cities, because there's a lot of other cities out there that don't have a lot of good broadband connection and a lot of students that are in need. So we'd love to expand in other cities and other states. And so um, I'm excited to see kind of like where First Tech Fund goes and, and where we build and how we build. Yeah, my uh, listen, MAPE community, if you're listening, once y'all launch that, photo- there's some very talented photographers in the MAPE community. The, what actually, you know, quickly, what made you choose, like what made you choose photography? Yeah, so I grew up with a huge passion for photography. My, similar to you, my suburban white town public high school had a dark room. And so that access allowed me to explore film photography, developing my own photos. And I actually use social media and the internet to connect with other underrepresented people across the country who were passionate about graphic design, photography, and all these things to build my own community that to this day still exists. 
And so through that experience, I was able to gain mentorship from people who were older than me, who were doing some photo gigs on the side. I was able to explore doing concert photography at some iconic venues in New York City of like emo and alternative rock music. And while I don't work in photography or art now, I think the skills that I gained through that and the hobby that I still to this day pursue allowed me to be a really strong marketer because I work in marketing and allowed me to have a really creative eye for different things that need to get done in technology, whether it's like user experience, user journey pathways, or thinking about the graphic design and interface of a website. And so I think as Josue was saying, like there's a lot of careers in photography that students maybe aren't aware about, but there's also a lot of careers that students are already interested in where photography and other artistic skills can be a really huge value add. And so there's obviously a huge emphasis on computer science, engineering, going into you know medicine or healthcare, and those are all really great pathways. But we just want to show students that some of the things that they might be already exploring for fun on their iPhone or Android or whatever mobile phone camera they have can be a skill that they explore for the rest of their lives in college and beyond. And so I think as you know, our mission is to provide tech access for students. And I think photography and non-computer technology is a whole nother space where students could really gain learnings and mentorship and support by having the tools that expand their universe and what they can visualize what they can achieve and what they can take as something they carry with them through the rest of their lives. And if you think about it too, like, I know people are traveling and acting like the, the pandemic is over, but it's not. And, uh, and, and photography is a really great creative outlet, right? And, and I found that to be the case this summer when I picked up a point and shoot and I started developing film, right? Even if my own neighborhood, right? I was only going one block away from my house because I was scared of everyone, but I was shooting things in my neighborhood and looking at them with a new perspective. And so that creative outlet was just a great way for me to, to look at things from a new angle and, and really have an outlet for, you know, artistic expression during a time when there's not a lot of things open, there's not a lot of ways to go to museums or anything like that. So it's also in addition to being a great learning opportunity, a great way for students to just um, safely, you know, pick up a new hobby in the house or outside the house um, in their own neighborhoods. Yeah, no, I, I, I've been putting off buying a new camera for a while. Um, and y'all just convinced me that I should probably do it like today and <laughs> get back into it. Um, no, thank you both for sharing that. I love that you're absolutely right. It's like, where are your creative outlets, your creative expressions? Like, how can you do it? Let's give people those opportunities. Um, you're doing so much. You got so much planned. Here's your opportunity, right? Where can people find First Tech Fund? Where can they follow you? Where can they donate? Where can they get involved with what you're doing? So we can be found on all social platforms except for TikTok. We're still figuring out the strategy for TikTok. But we can be found at First Tech Fund on all social platforms, including LinkedIn. People can find a link to donate to our cause on our website, firsttechfund.com. And if people are interested in getting involved, whether it's for our summer photography program or our school year fellowship, they can reach out to us at info at firsttechfund.com. And we are happy to continue the conversation there. All right. Y'all heard it. 
go. I mean, finish the podcast first and then go and donate, get involved, check out First Tech Fund. It was a pleasure, Hana and Josue, to have you to hear about your personal stories, what you're doing with First Tech Fund. I cannot wait to see you know, what this summer and what the next round will look like. Y'all are doing big, important work. Thank you for that. Thank you for coming on and talking with us and sharing your stories. And I'm sure our paths will cross again soon. Oh, wait, I forgot. Man, hold on. Gotta rewind that back. We have to give what, y'all got 60 seconds to say and tell the, leave the audience with one more thing. What's the one thing you wanna leave the audience with? in about 60 seconds start the thing do the thing even if you don't think it's going to be impacting a million of people you know i always was waiting for that big idea that was gonna you know change the world in you know a huge way but i'm still changing the world by serving our students and so don't be scared to launch the thing go do it there's a lot of need in our community and a lot of talent that is out there that could solve that need so go do go do the thing And to add on to that in 30 seconds, I would say that even if you have self-doubt, experiencing imposter syndrome, have a lack of confidence or self-esteem in yourself, just fake it till you make it. Like you will be able to accomplish great things beyond your wildest dreams if you put in the energy and make sure that you focus on the thing you're trying to solve for. And so I will just say that to add on to what Jose was saying, it's really really important to have that ability to drive yourself, to remind yourself that you are great and you are doing great things, regardless of how people perceive you or have perceived you in the past. Mm, Love it. Thank you, since I already did my ending, thank you both for coming on, sharing the wisdom, sharing your stories. It was amazing. Thank you for having us. We we appreciate it. I look forward to seeing what y'all will do. Of course. Well, thank you all of our listeners and... Till next time.